Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to the Get Your Go podcast. Here today, we're going to talk about Le'Veon Bell, a possible 12-team college football playoff change. What does that mean? This should have happened sooner, but I'll get into that more in a little bit. Catching up on the NBA playoffs, around two series has already ended, and then previewing the Stanley Cup semifinals tonight, the Canadians in Golden Knights action, and we'll fill in more along the way. So let's get started with Le'Veon Bell saying that he would never play for Andy Reid again, that he would retire uh, first, and he says he does not regret what he said after some of the backlash that came out of it. Is this more about Andy Reid, or is this more about Levy on Bell? Right away, I'm going to say this is a Levy on Bell issue. This man is just as much as a diva as Antonio Brown is. But at least Antonio Brown has learned his lesson. He's in a good spot in Tampa Bay. He's won a Super Bowl. He's like there. He's on the right path. I thought after that incident with the Las Vegas Raiders or Oakland Raiders, he'd never get back. But after the stunts he pulled there and then the previous season with Pittsburgh, I thought the end was never going to be in sight for this man. But he did good. He's back on track with the GOAT, Tom Brady himself. He looks good. Uh, You don't really hear much issues now of Antonio Brown. He stays relatively quiet. quiet. It just makes plays for his team. He's not as loud as he used to be. Now, Le'Veon Bell still has not got the memo yet. Le'Veon Bell, to me, is a sad, sad story of a great running back with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Tremendous, of course, hyperextended his knee of a one round in the playoffs a few years ago, so he wasn't fully able to go in the playoffs, which I thought could have been their best chance to beat the Patriots that year. But Le'Veon had his issues. Wanted a big contract and said he would hold out if that didn't get resolved. And sure enough, he held out, didn't play football, didn't get re-signed by the Steelers, and then signed with the Jets and was a, had a very, very lackluster year. Uh, your value dipped even more. And then now this year with the Chiefs and what was just said, you basically have a 1-2-3 knockout. Punch one was when he said he was going to hold out with the Steelers and not play anymore. And he he followed through on that. Number two was his poor play with the Jets that decreased his value. And number three, his play in comments now about Andy Reid. That's a knockout or a strikeout, whichever one you prefer. But Le'Veon 
is gone. He's old news. Le'Veon gone. That's what it is. Uh, and that's the thing, too. When you're a running back, you have to keep on producing big yards. That's why Zeke got a contract. Uh, that's why Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey has a contract. Because they all produce back year to year to year. They handle their business. They get paid. They don't make a big deal out of it like Le'Veon did. Because guess what happens? You take a year off. What happens during that year? Well, you have a draft. Rookie running backs come in. Uh, other running backs emerge in the market. And they look like the best option. Uh, so then you're really not missed as much anymore. Then you go to a team such as the Jets. Well, you shouldn't have signed with them in the first place uh, with the terrible offensive line, but coaching, anybody could have advised you not to go there. So then you go to a terrible team who's just had a terrible track record when you signed with them, and you play badly. So then that's another year wasted of your career where, again, more prospects emerge. It's a younger market. You're getting older. Everything's working against your favor. Now this time, so he's basically wasted three football years, and if he would have done his due diligence and played football for the Steelers that following year, he would have a hefty three-year contract to where even if he was performing or saying the things he is now, he'd at least still be getting paid his money. But that, that is not the case. He's not getting paid. I don't even know if there's any potential suitors for Le'Veon Bell after what he said about Andy Reid. Why? Because what bad things has anybody ever said about Andy Reid in their lives? Nothing. I rarely, if ever, have heard a story about Andy Reid. You know, you hear about Bill Belichick and Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh and their coaching and what they say and do. But you never hear about Andy Reid. You just look at this big guy that is like a teddy bear, and everybody loves him. He minds his own business, but Travis Kelsey loves him. Tyreek Hill loves him. Patrick Mahomes loves him. Was loved in Philadelphia as well. So this is Le'Veon. And maybe there was an issue there with Le'Veon and Andy, where it could have been, oh, I thought I was going to be playing this much and doing this much since Clyde Edwards-Alaire wasn't there. But that wasn't the case or the scheme. But you have to know, Le'Veon, you're siding with the Kansas City Chiefs. I hope you don't expect to run the ball a lot. They've got Patrick Mahomes. They're going to be throwing it out because they've got two, three players better than you. they got Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. That leaves you, my friend. And they've had success before you. They will have success after you. So you can try to throw Andy Reid's name through the mud, but it's not going to do much other than getting a talking point on this show in SportsCenter and other shows and say, Le'Veon, how far have you fallen? And how far will you keep on going? Your supposed friend, Antonio Brown, Stopped falling. He's on his way up. But Le'Veon, what is it going to take 
for you because you're not special. You're not a top 20 running back in the league. Any more like you once were, where at the time you were arguably the best with the way you were able to run, but not anymore. Then staying on the news of the NFL, since I am a lover of video games, and EA will be announcing the cover athlete in just a few days today, they teased us with two goats. Two goats, what does that mean? Well, who is the goat? Tom Brady, it's assumed that he is on the cover, but it was a picture of a younger goat and an older goat. So it's most likely, and I think it's been reported and leaked, that it is Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. But should it be Patrick Mahomes, should we anoint Patrick Mahomes to this young goat level yet? No. If he were to have beat Tom Brady, I would say he is right there coming for him and will be there. But Patrick Mahomes... Did not do that. Now, to me, he's got to win eight Super Bowls if he doesn't win anymore. So he has to win six to tie, seven to beat him. I say he has to win one more than Tom Brady because Tom Brady beat him. So he owns the head-to-head on him. Patrick Mahomes is 25 right now. He'll turn 26 when the football season starts. So that's seven years. So it's until he's 33, we're going to assume that he's going to win every Super Bowl until then. I just don't see that as possible. A lot changes in seven years of the NFL. Look at the Patriots and their 20-year dynasty that they had a lot changed. Basically every player on that team changed except for Tom Brady. A lot of moving parts. That's what teams have to recognize. I think Patrick Mahomes can be the stalwart. But Travis Kelsey will not be the tight end. He is in seven years. He's 31 right now. He'll be 32 when the football season starts. Uh, So that's 39. I don't think he'll be around then. Tyreek Hill. He's 27. He'll be 34 when that time comes. I don't think he'll be as fast as he is and have that extra gas step like he does right now. So they have a long window. You know, he has time to catch up. But I don't think Patrick Mahomes is ready to be called the young goat or the future goat. Because we never call Tom Brady the young goat or the future goat. We never said Michael Jordan was a young goat or future goat. It was always established after they won their rings, after the championships are done. Because if Patrick Mahomes finishes with one or two Super Bowls or three, all that goat talk will be nothing. And the articles will be how we put this man on a pedestal to just be the next goat. You know, we gave him everything he needed. To achieve it, and he fell short of our lofty expectations that Tom Brady set the bar so high. So I don't think it should be uh, Patrick Mahomes. I think if it's another little goat, 
I think the case could be made for Drew Brees. I would like to see Drew Brees on the cover after a wonderful career that he's had retiring now. Uh, I think it would be fitting to have a cover with Drew Brees on him. Because to me, he's not the GOAT in the GOAT conversation. He is a top 5, top 10 quarterbacks in terms of uh, winning a championship, winning MVP, a lot of passing records that he holds to his name. So he's done a lot for the game. And then also for the city of New Orleans... As well, a lot of people view him as the man down there. So that's my take on it. Tom Brady, deservedly so. I'd be fine with just a Tom Brady cover. Uh, Patrick Mahomes already had his day a couple years ago on the cover of Madden 20. But we'll see what it holds in a few days. Then news came out this past week of a possible... 12-team playoff for college football. How great would that be? Well, Kirby Smart, head coach of the Georgia Bulldogs, says it would be the greatest change if this were to happen. And Kirby Smart, do I agree with you for once? Not a Georgia fan, but I agree. This would be the greatest and best change for these teams. This is what is needed. Why? Because there's been so many years where we just thought, imagine if a fifth or sixth seed, how good they were, how much of a role they were, could have just made it to where they were at. Oh, you know, they were just right there. When we take a look at the first ever incarnation in 2014, of the college football playoffs, the top four were Alabama, one loss, Oregon, one loss, Florida State, zero losses, Ohio State, one loss. That was the top four. But you had Baylor and TCU consistently in the rankings until the last week where Ohio State slipped in ahead of Baylor and TCU. Baylor and TCU were great that year. Could they have made a run? Michigan State was formidable as well. What could they have done? So that's something that TCU Baylor fans will always remember. They were spurned by Ohio State, the eventual championship, but you could have gave Baylor and TCU some love. What about 2015? Another interesting one. Why? You had Clemson, Alabama, Michigan State, Oklahoma in the top four. Clemson is the eventual champion. But Michigan State smoking Alabama. Uh, Clemson putting a hurt on Oklahoma. uh, Clemson beating Oklahoma. So you had Iowa right there at 12-1. They were 12-0 undefeated until Michigan State beat them in the conference game. They had a great defense. They could have made a run. Stanford had a great defense. Ohio State was 11-1, and and they just made it the past year with one loss. What could they have done? Then you had Florida State and Notre Dame, so you had a lot of teams that, you know, could have made a run with the rest of these teams. 2016, another one. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Washington were your top four. Alabama crushed Washington. Clemson 
shut out Ohio State in Alabama one that season. What does that say? Well, who was outside of those top four teams? You had Penn State on a tear, started 2-2, two and two, and then reeled off nine consecutive wins to jump up to the fifth spot. They were playing hot. Who else? Michigan was there at number six. They just lost a crucial second overtime game to Ohio State with a critical bad call on a fourth and one. Michigan could have felt it that year, proven themselves. Oklahoma, Wisconsin as well. What else happened? The following year, 2017, same thing. Clemson, Oklahoma, Georgia, Alabama were your top four. Oklahoma won. I mean, Alabama won it all. As a four seed, beat Georgia. Well, Ohio State was right there at five at 11 and two. Wisconsin at 12 and one. They beat it out. Wisconsin undefeated. But Ohio State beat them. You could have had one of those teams as well. Penn State and USC were also really two hot teams. At the time, 2018, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Oklahoma. Another Alabama win, but Georgia was right there. Eking, Ohio State at 6, Michigan was at 7, Penn State at 12. So you had a lot of teams right there as well. 2019, LSU won, Ohio State was there as well, Clemson, Oklahoma, That's the year LSU routed them all. But who else did you have? You had Georgia with two losses sitting right there. Oregon, Baylor with two losses. A lot of good teams right there. And then this past year, Alabama taking it all in this crazy schedule. But you had Texas A&M with one loss. Oklahoma, Coastal Carolina at 12, at 11-0. So what is the common theme Throughout what I've just mentioned, a lot of good teams that had high chances of winning or pulling off upsets did not make it by human error, human decision. A lot of good teams were ousted because of this four-team playoff format. So a 12-team eliminates all other arguments and presents your best teams and really you know, the best of the best dukes it out right there. I think it'll be great for college football. Of course, it'll bring in more money for them, which you're considering in more revenue. But also, it's something the fans want. They want to see the playoff expansion. Four teams just feel so limited where you see the same teams all the time. Ohio State, Notre Dame, Clemson, Alabama. And of course, those fans, coaches, are the only teams that like the current format. No one else likes of a format itself. They all are vying for change. So why not give it to them? So this is something I'm looking forward to. I hope it is voted on, which would be later this year, and I don't think it would be instituted until next year, the following year. So we might have to deal with one more round of a four-team playoff, but then we should be hopeful that it should be solved after that and have a 12-team playoff, which I think would be more respected, more on par with what the NFL 
is setting up as well. Now moving on to the NBA. This weekend, the Milwaukee Bucks evened up their series against the Brooklyn Nets 107 to 96. Milwaukee has won both home games. Giannis got his help on Sunday. He was efficient. This was his best game attacking the rim. 34 points. But Chris Middleton was there to help him out. P.J. Tucker, Drew Holiday. They all contributed to the Bucks win. And in the Nets loss, it was just KD right there. Not very good. Only 9 for 25 shooting. Uh, which isn't good. One for eight from a free th- or from three pointer, which isn't very good. That's only twelve percent from three that he shot, and thirty six percent from a field. That's not the Kevin Durant we are used to seeing. Now, why are we seeing this version of Kevin Durant? Well, Kyrie Irving went out. This Sunday with an ankle injury. Twisted. Uh, Looked bad. Obviously it felt bad for Kyrie. As he's out now. And I think he could be out for the rest of the series. What does this mean. For the Nets and the Bucks series going forward. Is game 5. Is tomorrow night. What does it all mean. Well this means that. This is the Kevin Durant we're going to see without two superstars. Kevin Durant's always been loaded with stars. In Oklahoma City, he had James Harden and Russell Westbrook at Serge Ibaka and Reggie Jackson all at one point in time. Even throughout his career, he's always had Russell Westbrook as his co-star. Then he joins the Warriors, where he had... The big three of Draymond Green, Steph Curry, and Clay Thompson to make it a big four. Oh, and they added DeMarcus Cousins for insurance. Then they gets tired of winning there. So he goes to the Nets. But he can't go at it alone. No, he has to bring Kyrie with him. And after playing one game with Kyrie, that was not enough. James Harden, my good friend, I need you, so we will trade for you. So he's always had the most superstars on a team surrounding him. Why? Because it masks and hides his flaws and makes him better. When you have a James Harden on the court, when you have a Kyrie, that opens up all this space for you to do your own thing. But when the defense is dialed up on you, because it's you alone, then it gets much tougher. So who knows if he'll be able to carry him. I don't think he'll be able to do it, because he's never done it before. He's never single-handedly took a team to a championship, just to an NBA Finals appearance. That is what makes LeBron so good because he's able to take a supporting cast with zero all-stars, zero superstars, and take them to the finals like he did 
in 2018. That's the power of LeBron James when he took nobodies to a NBA Finals and was efficient while doing so, averaging a triple-double. Can Kevin Durant do the same? No, he cannot because he's never been able to do it before. He's not going to be able to do it this time. I think he can steal two games. I think he's that good to win two games against the Bucks by himself. But I think if he plays the Sixers, he will need one of the two wingmen that are out. But this is a big injury. It could cost the Nets a title this year at the very least. It is a big deal. Helps the Bucks out a lot as they know who to dial in on defensively. Wears out uh, Kevin Durant or Brown if they have to guard him. Uh, Blake Griffin, whoever's guarding Giannis. And then also that frees up their other guys as well. So that is a huge, huge loss to have both James Harden and Kyrie Irving out. And then last night, the Suns pulled out the brooms and swept the Nuggets right out of their own building. As I said after the Suns were up 2-0, I said, this is going to be a sweep. It's over. Called it. And it happened. Not without a little help from the officiating themselves and in Denver called a flagrant two on Nikola Jokic. Now I get a flagrant one because there was wind-up and follow-through that there was no malicious intent. He was going for the ball as he wound up and hit it. He wasn't aiming for his face because if he was aiming for his face, he could have hit him a lot harder and done a lot more damage. He was going for the ball and got ball. But in the process, some of his arm hit his face. But you can tell that he wasn't malicious intent because he wasn't going for the face. It wasn't his hand on his face. The hand hit all the ball and his arm grazed his face. It was a terrible call. Terrible officiating. Uh, I feel for Nikola Jocic, who's not a dirty player, who kind of keeps to himself. Uh, I thought, you know, they give him a flagrant one. Yes, it's out of frustration. Uh, this has not been a good s- series. But I was shocked, to say the least, like Michael Malone, that uh, calling that on a league MVP on a closeout game? A closeout game? I mean, that is, to me, is a bit much. Uh, So, I don't think it was clear. I mean, if they have called that a flagrant two, to me, it just has to be consistent across the board. Every other time somebody goes for a steal, and you see an arm touch the player's face, that has to be a flagrant two. And guess what? People will be tracking. I believe the referees made a bad, bad call 
on that because he wasn't following through with the hand to the face. It was to the ball. He wasn't trying to injure somebody. Uh, It wasn't excessive contact because he was going for the ball. Wasn't going for the face. It's unfortunate that his face was there, of course. But I feel bad for Nikola Jocic because, to me, the refs stole that game and poor officiating, and now they have to call it consistent across the board. But to me, that kind of took the life out of them, even though they made a push. Uh, That, to me, hurt them a little bit, especially considering right after that seemed like the Phoenix Suns were up by 15 at that point, and then the Nuggets had to crawl back. But they couldn't do it with the loss of league MVP Nikola Jocic. And then Chris Paul having the best playoff game of his career, shooting 37 points, 100% 9 for 9 from the free throw line, uh, and then shooting 74% from the field. I mean, that is as efficient as you get. And Cliff Paul, Chris Paul, I call Cliff Paul, is digging himself out of this playoff choker type of individual with a performance like that. That was great at 36, 37 years old that he was able uh, to do that. Devin Booker added 34, so they combined for 71 points. That's how good this backcourt is. Uh... But we'll see Chris Paul, who's been in one other conference finals his whole life in 2018, when they were up 3-2, to two, mind you, against the favorites Golden State Warriors. And Chris Paul pulls his hamstring and not able to go, and they lose the next two games. Uh, but we'll see how they go from there. But the Nuggets, to me, Really played their best team game, even though they weren't that efficient. 46% from the field and 38% from three. They had a lot of contribution last night, even when Nikola Jocic, who went down, had 22 points. Michael Porter added 20. Will Barton added 25. Monte Morris with 19. Compazzo off the bench with 14. So they all played well to me. The real culprit of playing bad in this game and really didn't show up this whole series is Aaron Gordon. Michael Porter was inconsistent at times, but I'd rather have Michael Porter than Aaron Gordon. His defense wasn't good enough, and on the offensive end, uh, he wasn't getting good looks, wasn't converting on his looks. Uh, So, of course, this is going to be a different team with Jamal Murray back, but they have a lot of good pieces in place to compete in the future. It was just wrong team, wrong time. And the Suns got it done, and they await the winner of the Jazz Clippers in the Western Conference Finals. Now picking tonight's game. First is the Philadelphia 76ers and the Atlanta Hawks. Who do I think will win that game? The Sixers are up 2-1 to in the series, and I think 
the 76ers will take a commanding 3-1 series lead tonight. Because there's just something about that their game, the way they play, that when you watch V76ers, they just play, they make shots, they're good on defense, and it's like, oh, you know, they play well, you know, they're a good team, it's nothing special, but I like what I'm seeing from them, and you like what they're seeing, and they're just a casual 20-point lead for the 76ers. That's kind of how easy this team kind of makes it look, especially in their last couple wins over Atlanta. I think it will happen here. Joel Embiid has been great in this series. Nobody on Atlanta can guard him. He is unguardable. He gets to the free throw line. That's how good he is. To me, the one loss that will hurt this team uh, is Danny Green being out for a couple weeks. I don't think that matters much in this series, but a future series against the Bucks or Nets could prove vital, or they could have kind of a three-point shot, three-and-D winger to knock down key three-pointers. Women time is right. That's what you get out of Danny Green. So they lose that. But I think the Philadelphia 76ers can withstand anything Atlanta's going to throw at them the next couple of games. But 76ers will get the win tonight. Then after that, you have the Utah Jazz and the Los Angeles Clippers. Los Angeles Clippers finally got their win the past game where they really routed the Jazz by 26 points. Kawhi Leonard wasn't special, 1 for 6 from 3, but he had 34 points to me. It was Paul George, who I've been saying is overrated. Pandemic P, resurgent, was great that game. His best playoff game of this series and of this season where he scored 31 points, 50% shooting, and 60% from three. He was special. He's also a facilitator. That game and type of a point guard role where it looked good. It looked natural for him. Uh, and defensively, they caused a lot of issues. For the Jazz. But what are the Jazz going to counter with now that they just got punched in the face? I believe the Jazz will win and take a 3-1 series lead. I think they have to. I think if it goes 2-2 again, uh, LA, the Clippers have all the confidence in the world. Donovan Mitchell has been spectacular. Best player in the playoffs by far. Joe Ingles has been spectacular. Bogdanovich was all right. Not in his past game. He was less than all right. Gobert, you know he's a stalwart on the defensive end. Jordan Clarkson, sixth man of the year, hit a few shots. But their offense changes without Mike Conley because he's injured. They don't really have a true point guard. Donovan Mitchell can play the point, but he's more of a shooting guard. Plays the two, whereas Mike Conley is a true dog at point card who can defend facilitate he is so good as a floor general as well and can score uh he is a great point guard package for his team the veteran as well and that's what they need and who knows 
if they get it right now. Uh, it looks like he'll be out again, but how do they adjust with Mike Conley out now? Because it looks like that injury is more severe than what it initially is. Is Donovan Mitchell really okay? Uh, he looked like it landed a little awkwardly, gingerly on his ankle there. How healthy is, is he going to be moving forward as he missed games and time with that ankle injury in the regular season? Uh, hopefully this isn't a big issue because if he's compromised, this series is a wrap. It's over. Clippers can take it. But if he's healthy and ready to go, then they close out the Clippers in a couple of days. But I'm rolling with the Jazz tonight as this is a big win for them. And then especially getting their stars, Mitchell and Mike Conley, healthy. Now moving on to the NHL. What used to be called the conference finals for each round this year has been replaced with the Stanley Cup semifinals. Yesterday was the Islanders and the Lightning. Two teams I really don't like, but the Islanders won. And I said the Islanders were going to win this series. And if the Islanders play like they did last night, then they will. Why? Because their best player, Matthew Barzal, stepped up with the speed on a great breakaway goal to open up the scoring. Their goalie, Simeon Barlamov, who I said was excellent, a top three goalie this year, played like a top three goalie last night, making 30 saves. On 31 shots was just fantastic for them. Uh, They were physical as well. They matched Tampa Bay's physicality. Tampa Bay, I thought, spent too much time in the box. New York Islanders did the little things right. Winning more face-offs. Battling for loose pucks. And as I said, the Islanders wanted this. They wanted this rematch with the Lightning because of what happened last year. And they think the tables could be turned. And yesterday proved that could be true. Now three wins away. I expect Tampa Bay to counter. And counter hard as John Cooper, their coach, said. uh, You know, a little bit too mistakes. And I agree. But New York Islanders had a sound defensive game plan. To eliminate odd man rushes. And to make sure Braden Point, Kucherov, Stamkos can't get good looks and get easy goals. And the Islanders stopped and contained them. Played a great game. Good shot by Ryan Pulak as well to make it a 2-0 lead going into the third period. And we're in full and total control of this game all the way to the end. Braden Point got a power play goal. uh, But that's something I would advise the Islanders against is not giving this power play that many chances because they do convert on a lot of them. Last night, they were one for three. Uh, But the more chances you give Tampa Bay, the more likely they are uh, to score. And then tonight, the other semifinal matchup between the Montreal Canadiens and the Vegas Golden Knights. And I am picking the Golden Knights to win this game, as I said, the sweep is coming out. They're breaking out the brooms. That is starting tonight. 
It's in Vegas. This place is going to be loud and rocking there. And to me, they're just a better team. Mark andre Fleury has been more consistent and better all year than Carey Price. Yes, Carey Price has had a great playoff uh, performance so far, but so has Mark andre Fleury. And to me, I trust the goal scorers more on Vegas. I trust Mark Stone and Marchessault and Riley Smith and Alex Tuck, William Carlson. To me, those are guys I trust more, and they've been in this environment later in the playoffs more than this Montreal Canadiens team has. Canadians, of course, have won the most Stanley Cups, a lot of experience, but those have not come within the past 20 years. So it is the Golden Knights. They know what is up in this day and age. Max Pacioretty, I think, will have a huge game tonight. Playing against his former team in the Montreal Canadiens. Says there's not a lot there anymore, and I agree. I think it's going to be business as usual for Max Pacioretty. And he is going to get it done uh, tonight and lead this team and assist Mark Stone in a huge way and get a win. Then, moving to MLB, Aaron Boone. Aaron Boone is back. Time to talk about Aaron Boone again. Says it is time the Yankees step it up. He's going to see what their character is made of through these tough times. We need to step it up, period. We need to play better as we're going to play an outstanding offensive club in Toronto. But the Yankees have lost 7 of 9. 13 of 18, they're in fourth place after just being within grasp of first place. They've now looked good, especially the series with the Phillies. Did not highlight anything good that was on display. But Aaron Boone, my friend, this starts with you. As I just said about the Nuggets coach last week when he was telling his team that they quit and doesn't look good, he was deflecting the blame. Aaron Boone is doing the same thing. Why? Well, he tells the Yankees to step it up. What's your character made of? But when you look at Aaron Boone on the sideline of the dugout, that's the same Aaron Boone. Doesn't look like he's changed. Doesn't look like he's more fired up at all. You have to lead by example, Aaron Boone, and you have not done that. You are not a good manager as I've said on multiple, multiple occasions, or you're at least not the right manager for this job when the lights are the brightest and the lights are constantly on this organization. The New York Yankees, where nothing but championships are expected from the fans. I don't care what anybody else thinks, but the fans expect World Series titles and pennants year after year. And Aaron Boone, you have not gotten close, brother. It has not been good. The character starts with you. You have to present yourself in a better way. You have to get more out of your team, Aaron Boone. Because the struggles start with you. You managing this game. You need to push all your right buttons. And then the players will fall into place and push all their right buttons, yes. 
Now, sometimes players are in a hitting slump or dealing with things, but when you lose 13 of 18 and you're on this slide, it's more than just a couple players not hitting the ball well, Aaron. It starts with you, so what are you going to do? And tonight, the key baseball game is the Cubs versus the Mets, and I do not expect this to be a pitching duel. Jake Arrieta going against uh, David Peterson. Both have not been good this year. David Peterson, especially one win and a six ERA. Jake with five wins, but a five ERA. So I expect a lot of hits to be had tonight. A lot of runs scored. And what will be a battle between first place teams in the division, the Cubs first in the NL Central, the Mets first in the NL East. And if the Mets keep on this pace with Jacob deGrom, with VR and Lindor and Pete Alonso and Pillar and company, then guess what? They will take over the Yankees as a team to watch and root for in New York if the Yankees don't step up soon. And then in other sports news, Novak Djokovic came back to win the French Open. He was down two sets to Stipis, but he came back, rallied, and won the final three of the five to give him a French Open. Puts him at 19 Grand Slam titles, one shy of the record held by both active players, Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal. But Djokovic becomes the only player to have multiple wins at every Grand Slam location. And he got it if a one that's been dominated by the king of clay, Rafael Nadal himself. Is the joker the GOAT? No, he is not, but he is closing it and has a case as he is the youngest of those three. Needs one more to tie, two more to overtake. We'll see what holds the next few years, but he could very well be the GOAT. This was a huge case for him getting up there, but to me it's still one, Roger Federer, two, Rafael Nadal, and three, Novak Djokovic. But he's made progress. Still two more Grand Slams this year. A lot can change in six months. You have the Wimbledon, which starts later this month. And then you have the U.S. Open in September. So there is tennis to watch. And the Copa America as well. And then a lot of the other European championships as well for soccer. So of course... I've got to break out a messy jersey. Is one of the greatest football players of all time or soccer players. And he needs to win this game for his country to help solidify his case as the greatest of all time. But we'll get all the more of that later. Hope everybody has a great rest of their week. I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye, everybody.